<laughs> pride is a killer. And when any type of authority is given, um, there is that like fleshly desire to want and take it for yourself. So what are some boundaries that you guys implement so that you keep yourself humbled before the Lord? Um, and I mean, it even goes into giving room to the Holy Spirit to come in and do his work. Uh, but just being that vessel and nothing else. The way that I check my pride, especially in the role of preaching, is checking my email. (laughs) (laughs) Preaching in Los Angeles. Oh my goodness, we had three services and my inbox would be full with nothing but complaints. I didn't like this. I didn't like that. I didn't like your tone. I didn't like, it was so, any, any sense that I got of just like, hey, it kind of knocked it out of the park. Like, I don't like that. I don't like this. I didn't like your outline. That was confusing or whatever. But just like feedback from people or even like someone that I know and trust, like my wife, you know, and I think you mentioned, <laughs> you know, I'm just like feeling pretty, like, man, and the spirit was like moving. She's like, eh. <laughs> it's all right. She's like, oh, I listened to this podcast earlier the week, you know, in the week by, you know, Ray Orton. I'm like, oh, yeah, what did Ray have to say, huh? Is it spirit-filled or whatever? Hey, welcome to the Expositors Collective Podcast, episode 235. I'm your host, Mike Neglia. And you just heard one of the questions that made up for one of our really enjoyable panel discussions that took place in Costa Mesa, California earlier this year. Uh, You're going to listen in as Dominic Doan, Clay Worrell, Nick Cady, and Tim Chaddock answer questions from the crowd about how do we deal with pride? How do we teach topically, but in an expositional manner? And many other incredibly practical questions. I really hope you enjoyed this um, audio and that you would even consider coming along to Idaho in October because we're going to have another training event coming up October 14th and 15th. More details are available on our website, expositorscollective.com, and I hope to see you there. And if I don't, I hope that this episode and all that we do at Expositors Collective helps you to grow in your personal study and public proclamation of God's word. Here's the panel discussion. Okay, you've been asked to speak on a specific topic already instead of going through a particular book or text first. How do you go about that and still do it in an expositor where he's fashion and not like, uh, I don't know, devoid the process of, I don't know, the depth of the meaning that really is there because you know what you're trying to find. Does that make sense? I'll go first. Um, I like to answer this question just because um, I would argue that if you preach a truly expository message, that it is also a topical message. And so then when you preach topically, you should preach an expository message. And you can go from your root text Right, that you maybe go through verse by verse, expose the meaning, and then you can pop over to a bunch of supporting texts as well. But I definitely don't think they are at odds with each other, topical preaching and expository preaching. Uh, I would say very much good expository preaching will always have a single theme or topic. I think it's also, 
worth remembering. I think Dave Guzik might have mentioned this in a previous time, but you know, Charles Spurgeon obviously didn't like work through books of the Bible. It was a topic or a theme, but the way in which he did it was expository in the sense that I think usually when we're contrasting expository versus topical, it's just making sure that we're not imposing like shoehorning the text like into the topic. So like Nick said, like a lot of texts will have one or several main ideas. We're just trying to do the expository work. I'm often asked to speak on a topic and then I got to pray about a text, but I just want to make sure, sure I handle the text in a way that I'm like taking people into it and like pulling out whatever the topic or theme, just making sure that they know it actually comes out of the text and not just out of my own mind or opinion or, or whatever. Okay. Question or, okay. Yeah, I've been, I've been teaching for a while, but I feel like I've only used expositional resources. Can you talk a little bit more uh, about doctrinal resources? Like, that interested me because I don't really know if I, maybe I have been using them not knowing it, but can you explain, like, I think the cultural one I get, but the doctrinal one I'm a little interested in. Yeah. Sure. Yeah, that's a great question. Um, the example I used um, so the new studies in biblical theology, for example, is you know kind of taking themes of scripture. So I think um, the first one that comes to mind that I have on my sh shelf is a biblical theology of possessions. I think it's um, neither poverty nor riches is the title of it. Christ so longer. they're doing the work in this book of giving you a whole Genesis to Revelation, a theological framework for possessions and, and money and, and whatnot. So that would be a thematic or a doctrinal resource, which is very helpful when I'm teaching the Gospel of Matthew, which, you know, money comes up a lot, and so, um, sort of, yeah, I mean, this would be a very, a, a bridge, systematic is meant to kind of cover the whole swath of, you know, topics, but there are specific books just on specific doctrines, it can be like a book on atonement, or a book on um, compassion, a book on serving the poor, or, or whatnot, and I always have that on my shelf, but I usually don't go to it first, I go to it after I'm wrestling with the text, but man, they're so, so helpful, because it really does what Nick just said, it helps you tie in rightly the other passages to the ones that you're preaching from, because they've done all the work and they've compiled it for you. So yeah, similar to a systematic theology, but very much focused on one topic. Like Ecclesiastes is a great one called like um, the festive garment. So it talks about like, you know, the wisdom literature and just general truths about that and, you know, lamentation or whatever. You know, it could be on a theme, but it's really going to help you if you're preaching through Lamentations, for example. So that's one example. Hey, guys. Um, would love to just get your guys' thoughts on a word-for-word -word manuscript sermon versus following the outline with preparation and, like, free-flowing thought. Yeah. What do you guys do? Well, does this work? Yeah. yeah. There we go. We um, yeah. For, uh, in, the, in the years that I was pastoring up in Portland, um, and to a limited degree out in Hawaii as well, suffering for Jesus. Um, I would yeah, I have a manuscript, so for me what that looked like is writing everything out several days before, and then on Saturday was typically the day I'd kind of commit it to memory. Um, that way when I'm up there, I wouldn't have to just be 100% reading an outline or reading a manuscript. Um, one thing that helped me, though, is transferring the manuscript, I'm preaching on this, but I'm actually using manuscript tonight. Um, but I would, I would use the manuscript and then transfer it to an outline in my Bible. And uh, that way, you know, the iPad or the notes would just be up there for reference or emergencies or whatever. Um, but I've got the general outline in my mind and there's different memorization techniques I would use for that too. But 
Yeah, what, what I do is, <clears throat> excuse me, um, I do write a manuscript of sorts as I write out my sermon, but I do it in bullet points, and then, um, and then I bold out kind of like trigger thoughts at the, at the front. And so essentially, I have a manuscript in front of me, but I'm not reading my manuscript. I'm, I'm bouncing off of it because I've spent so much time studying and preparing and mulling over it. it it's all here already, but <clears throat> for me... Um, I just don't trust myself, you know, to to just have a bullet. I would love to get to the point where I could have just a bullet point um, outline, but uh, I just feel like if I tried that, I would freeze and have nothing to say. Because there are times where my mind will go blank, and then I'm really glad I have full sentences down there. But most of the time, I, I'm not reading it verbatim in any way, shape, or form. So much of that is like knowing your personality too. I'm sure you've all seen like on Instagram, like all the famous preachers we know, like examples of their notes. One of them's like a mad scientist and there's like a crime detective. It's like red lines all there. And then some are like word for word verbatim manuscript, like having students over the years, like you kind of have to know what, what works for you. Like some people really do the manuscript thing, but the feedback they get is making sure they're delivering it in a way that feels very natural for, for me you know, I, I tend to use the, I write statements and then I'm able to riff off that and then my next bullet point will then kind of bring me back to make sure I'm staying in logical progression. But sometimes like today, did you say you manuscripted yours? Yeah, for my talk I gave earlier, that was very manuscripted because I only had 20 minutes, which is like a preacher's death, at least in the United States. <laughs> and if it's shorter, I tend to try to be very scripted because I don't want to go over time, but if I have more breathing room, I'll tell a story or an anecdote. But a lot of that's just kind of knowing yourself and getting feedback from your team or, or your church. Yeah, I'll just say, well, I manuscript, but more like clay, kind of like bullet points and main points, some things bolded out. But I'll tell you this, there's a real benefit to manuscripting that I've found um, is just, let's say you need, you've got a, a reference of everything that you taught, right? Like, and you've got an archive of it. So I can go back and I can say, well, here's what I taught on this. And um, recently we turned one of my series into a book, right? But we were able to do that really easily because I actually had manuscripts. So there are benefits. Um, but yeah, the thing you got to watch out for is, you know, sounding wooden or, you know, looking down too much, not making eye contact. And then there's those, have you guys seen Keller preach? You ever like watch a video of Tim Keller? I was with him in Australia. He's got these tiny little bits of paper and then he just gives us like the most epic sermon you've ever heard. And he's just like, mm, just kind of like a little piece of paper, just kind of, oh yeah, this is my sick point. And then he goes off for like 10 minutes and next, Christ. And you're like, you had four pieces of like post-it notes. Like what the heck? But he's also been doing it for like decades and decades and decades. So. Okay, so I'm going to ask a question on behalf of Edward over here. It's a really great question. He, he was pointing to the book, okay, the manual that we all have. And he said there's lots of practical stuff in here, very helpful things. But his real question is how does a, a Bible teacher or preacher measure his success? I think that's a great question. Oh. One thing. That, the, the lesson today illustrate is how the responses of the people was different from the expectations. You know, especially the expectation of the man who speaks for God. In Numbers, uh, uh, what's his name? Uh, 
Aaron and Moses fell flat on their face and the generals, uh, Joshua, were surprised that the people would not take this gift, you know? So it's a very practical experience in faith. But today you have a lot of competitors. <laughs> so that's a great question. You know, how, do you me- how do you measure, like, what's the real measure of the success? Like, really, I mean, that's a good question. Yeah, you know, uh, to your point, I'll, I'll tell you what it isn't. It isn't the praises of men, right? Because um, ultimately, I think you measure your success by <clears throat> being faithful to the Lord and faithful to the text and, and um, you know, being good stewards of, of, of the call. And, and for me, um, I, I know that there's there's been times when I feel like I have just absolutely slayed it. Like I walk down, I'm like, I just preached the best sermon that I've ever given. Every, where are the tears in people's eyes? And, and, and it's just crickets, you know, like nobody cares. And, and, and then there's been times where I've, I've gotten down and I'm, I'm just literally embarrassed. Like I want to apologize to people, everybody that I talk to after church and seven or eight people come up and say that just changed my life. I'm like, I don't know what you were listening to, but <laughs> it wasn't what was coming out of my mouth. But that's, that's, you know, what it boils down to is like, truly it's the Holy Spirit that does the work. And, um, and all we can do is be as faithful as we can to um, to handle God's word rightly and and um, deliver it to the people filled with the spirit. Yeah, I think that's great because if I can jump in real quick, Clay, is you know First Corinthians four. You know, Paul is talking about I'm just a steward of these mysteries, and the job of the steward is just to dispense what he's been given by the master. Nothing more and nothing less. That's his, that's his only job. And then he goes into this whole thing of, you know, so if you're judging me now, this is not the time to judge, you know, my success. I, we're all going to be judged before the Lord. I don't even judge myself. And what a great scripture to apply, especially when you're in front of people. Because preaching, Bible teaching is a very vulnerable place to be in, yeah. you know, and let's admit that, you know. But there's a proverb that says, <clears throat> the preparation of the heart belongs to man, but the utter, utterance of speech is the Lord's. Mm-hmm. And um, I just, early on, I stumbled upon that. It may be out of context, I don't know, but I've always felt that's it. It's like our, our job is to, to prepare to be right with God in the preparation, and, and then what comes out of our mouth, that's, that's up to the Lord. Mm-hmm. Amen. Amen. Just wondering because we you talk you mentioned earlier expositional texts and I'm a pretty big collector on things that I can find on eBay or whatever. But if you were to just parachute into an island with just your Bible, a bunch of sinners, and one expositional text, what's your go-to text? <laughs> Next is James chapter four through five. Yeah. <laughs> That's such a wait. Which resource? resource. No. Gosh. Logos Bible software. Yeah. <laughs> That's a cheat code right there. <laughs> a laptop and the internet. <laughs> 
you know what resource I love and I learned is like whether it's a Jameson Fawcett Brown or uh, Walverb's, uh, Walverb's, you know, Genesis to Revelation. Uh, Martin Lloyd Jones has like the whole whole Bible one, like something like that, where it just I, I make sure that I'm I'm not just coming to conclusions on my own when I read the text. Like I think there's this idea that if I just get away and I listen to the Spirit, I'm going to have a pure, undiluted, unadulterated view of the text, but like men and women have come before us and you know we do theology and community. So having a resource is like, okay, yes, I'm not just in my own head. Yes, I'm this is like the generally accepted understanding of the text from Christian history. So I'd probably pick one of those or Lagos, like Dominic said. That was a great answer. Shout out Lagos Bible software. Costs two is that, millions, it? Is that all we get? We just get Tim on that one? That's what we get? Okay. We've got another question over here. Oh, oh, I'm sorry. Oh, I'm Mike. sorry. Um, so, actually, this is probably what you taught on, but, like, you're not up there, so... But this is for anyone, I guess. Um, so, we're talking about, like, Christ-centered teaching, and, like, I'm just trying to figure out how, or if you know from experience, like, he sort of talked on... Like, sometimes we can get legalistic in our teaching to the point where, like, we're beating our sheep, you know? And I just want to find, like, a clear balance in which, like, we're still trying to push our guys. And I know that we never graduate from the gospel. Like, everything should be Christ-centered. But, like, when we're pushing them, like, how can we also reassure them that they're growing through, like, the thing without teaching it, like, the same way each time, you know? Because you can never teach more about Christ more and more, you know? Like, you can never get enough, but with pushing them without being legalistic, you know? Yeah, you know, that's one of the things I love about Christ-centered preaching is it's not like we just have the gospel and it's like the same message, the same words all the time. But truly, for me, the framework I like in regards to, like, the application or the exhortation that comes from Christ-centered preaching is it just, it just means that there's, there's a different, me, different means and motivation for whatever the application of the text is, right? Because um, Christ, him crucified and resurrected, tr- truly is, um, yes, our means for anything that Scripture calls us to, he provides the, the grace, the power, the ability to walk in that, but also the motivation because he went before us and loved like we you know, can never love so we can continue to live into that love. So, so yeah, that's my framework is it by no means does it rob us of the ability to exhort, challenge, um, even rebuke the people that we're, we're preaching to, but it's not coming from a place of be better, do better. It's coming from a place where the means and the motivation is Christ and him crucified, you know? Um, as a newer Bible teacher, how long did it take you guys to find your voice and your style? Because it seems like one week I'll sound like, or feel like I sound like Tim Keller, and then the next week I'll feel like I sound like Vodie Bauckham. <laughs> it kind of depends, like, the voice you have in your head, you know what I mean? Like, if you're just listening to one guy constantly or reading one author that voice will be in your head. So you got to, you know, milk many cows, make your own butter. I think it, it that takes years, right? Um, so. That's great. <laughs> yeah. I mean, for me, like, I had to, 
I had to purge myself of different voices for a season, yeah. and it was good. It was healthy, and like seeking the Lord. Okay, what's what's my voice here? How do you want me to approach this here? I'm not going to listen to that guy for you know years if if need be, um, because we do start to parrot and imitate you know the voice we're hearing as well. I'm still just in awe of that analogy. That was amazing. <laughs> I'm going to sit with that. Um, I, I have a, a comment on Tim's uh, presentation. I, I love the fact that you are devoting time to your family. As a young pastor in the early 80s, I, my mistress was the church. And I gave myself to her because I loved her in the end more than my, I loved my family. And as it grew... It only caused me to fall more in love with her. And in extension, I, by default, left the raising of my children to my wife. So I asked this question because you guys still have some color in your hair and you probably have kids. What do you person, <laughs> unless only your hairdresser knows, I, you know, what are you personally doing to ensure that? You are pastoring, priesting, the prophet, the provider, the protector of your household, and not leaving that to your wife while you fall deeper in love with your church. Yeah, so I'll speak personally. I appreciate that, Paul. And, um, you know, so our church, as it's grown, I've actually taken more time away from the church to make sure I have dedicated time to my family, and that's, it's been important. So I, I've started taking Monday off completely. I didn't used to. I used to work every day of the week, you know, because the devil doesn't rest, and apparently I'm supposed to model myself after him. So <laughs> anyway, so uh, I used to work every, every day, and uh, my wife didn't like it, and I just kind of told her to that I didn't care what she thought, I guess. I just did it anyway. And uh, so, yeah, I've been taking, take a day off and also, you know, making sure. It's hard. My kids go to school, right? So I've only got a short window of time on the weekends when we're together. So I make sure to uh, guard that time. Yeah, we, we started doing um, family Sabbath you know, from Friday evening till Saturday evening. And um, that's hard because <clears throat> I'm a procrastinator. I don't, I, none of you can relate to that, I'm sure. Um, and so there's plenty of times where I feel like I, you know, that anxiety of my sermon isn't done and I've got all this stuff to do and stuff. But it just came to a point where I had to put a hard line in the sand where it's like, no, I'm not going to do any church stuff from you know, Friday evening through Saturday night, even Sunday morning. And then if I have to, I wake up at 3.30 in the morning on Sunday or whatever I've got to do. But, but that just sacred time of, of, um, that is strictly for the family is hugely, hugely important for us. Yeah. Does that mean that you got more study time in the summer because the sun didn't, went down later in the day? A amen. Yeah. <laughs> I, I just, you know, I, I see you guys um, up here teaching about, you know, beautiful outlines to great messages and doing a great job of pastoring and preaching. But um, my thought as I was reading through the notes that I've been writing down, copious notes of how to do this and do it well, um, was leaving room for the Holy Spirit. 
leaving room for him to wreck your sermon. You know, I just, you know, I just recently got a chance to to preach my first sermon at a, a little neighboring church, and um, it's like sixty hours for thirty minutes. And and I got to give you guys all the credit in the world because I know how hard this is. You know how how a layman, uh, a non, this is not my job. Guy took that long to write thirty minutes worth of sermon. And and I just got to give you guys props for doing this weekly, weekend, week out. My pastor. Um, does a great job and love him to death, but I, I realize how hard this is. But especially if you've got an outline and you've got everything all put in there, and then God says, "No, I want it this way." So you guys got to deal with that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah sometimes, <laughs> especially if something happens, like some huge thing happens in the in the nation or in your community, you, you just got to push. You got. No, we're going to deal with this. Is everyone's hearts and minds are right here, and you just have to. I mean, that's like a no-brainer. But there's other things that that go on. Maybe something in the church, and there's there is time when you abandon. You, we're going to get to that next week, but we're going to focus on this. Yeah, so true. It reminds me of Augustine. He he said that God provides the wind but we have to raise the sail. And I think we do our work, and we put in the outline, we do the research, the study, manuscripting, whatever your vibe is. But then at the end of the day, we need the Spirit of God to come on it and direct us. And you're so right, too. Um, the events, we have, to, we have to be open to speaking into that, you know, whether it's the racial event that happened and, you know, saying something. We can't just be silent on certain things or there's a war with Russia or whatever's going to happen this weekend. Um, letting God's Spirit direct and infuse our words so that He can take control of it. Yeah, yeah that's great. Let's do one more question. Yeah, we have one. Okay. And, and additionally, I'd say come back tomorrow morning because mm-hmm. uh, Pastor Brian Broderson is going to give a, a talk on the role of the Holy Spirit in sermon prep and delivery. But last question. So, okay. <laughs> um, pride is a killer. And when any type of authority is given, um, there is that, like, fleshly desire to want and take it for yourself. So what are some boundaries that you guys implement so that you keep yourself humbled before the Lord? Um, And, I mean, it even goes into giving room to the Holy Spirit to come in and do his work. Uh, But just being that vessel and nothing else. The way that I check my pride, especially in the role of preaching, is checking my email. <laughs> Preaching in Los Angeles. Oh my goodness, we had three services and my inbox would be full with nothing but complaints. I didn't like this. I didn't like that. I didn't like your tone. I didn't like it was so any any sense that I got of just like, hey, it kind of knocked it out of the park. Like, I don't like that. I don't like this. I didn't like your outline. That was confusing or whatever. But just like feedback from people or even like some one that I know and trust, like my wife, you know, and I think you mentioned, <laughs> you know, I'm just like feeling pretty, like, man, and the spirit was like moving. She's like, eh. <laughs> it's all right. She's like, oh, I listened to this podcast earlier the week, you know, in the week by, you know, Ray Orton. I'm like, oh, yeah, what did Ray have to say, huh? Is it spirit filled or whatever? It's like, I, I joke, but I would get far more criticism than I would get praise. And I think a lot of people don't know that about preachers and speakers. They maybe assume 
you know, that you only get praise, but my experience has been the exact opposite. Like to the point where if somebody's like, that was good, I'm like, <laughs> you know, I'm like, oh, thank you for the encouragement. But it's also people that you work with and people that you know. I joke about my wife, but it's totally true. My team, it's like asking them. Um, Jeremy Tree, who is my successor, he's got a PhD, and I always say, I got my GED, you know, so that like shows the gap between us. But we had ever three services, and I would preach my sermon. He was on our team. And he would come back, and his last name is Treat, and he would have what we called the treat sheet. And he would sit down with me. Even though I ran my sermon by him before Sunday, he'd be like, Tim, overall, it was good. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) But everything he said was true and helpful, and it, like, really brought me down to earth. I know what you were trying to say, but this, this, and that. And he would give me the right kind of encouragement, but also the critique. But he knew me. He loved me. He knew the text. So I think surrounding yourself with people that know you and know the text are really helpful, and they'll keep you rightly encouraged, but also rightly humble, in my experience. I, ju- I just want to comment real quick on the flip side of that, because <clears throat> you, know, you mentioned pride, and by all means, one of the temptations for pride for preachers is thinking that we're great, right? But there's another type of pride that, that is kind of sneaky, yeah. where you, know, you mentioned podcasts and stuff, and we live in this age where people are consuming just the best preaching that there is out there all week long, right? And then they come to our little local church, and we just do the best we can, and we're being compared to Tim Keller or somebody like that. And... Um, And so there's another type of pride that can sneak in, and it's the pride of comparison, where it's still about me and what do I have to offer and can I can I measure up to these amazing orators? You know, can I can I preach the way that so and so preaches? And and at the end of the day, like true humility in preaching is not like, am I am I good enough? Am I not good enough? Am I great? Do I suck? It's like, man, was I was I faithful, you know, to shepherd these people that, that God entrusted me with? And, and then when you're at that place where you're just trying to be faithful to God and faithful to your people, then somebody can come up and say, Tim, that was terrible, you know? Or somebody can come up and say, that's the best sermon I ever preached. And, you're, and, and, and you don't even have to say, oh, brother, it wasn't me. Praise the Lord. It was all him. No, you just say, praise God, man. You know, like, praise the Lord. And so, so it really is a, a balanced thing. And, and so for me, it's like when, when you're preaching, you know, for the Lord, and to your heart, and then to your people. That's, that's key. I think if you get too many apologies, beware, because it's just your church feeling sorry for you. Yeah. <laughs> oh, he does his best. <laughs> like, what does that mean? <laughs> so the- okay. Anything else, guys? Let's give it up for these guys. Thanks so much. And then done. All right, so thank you so much to Clay, Nick, Tim, and Dominic. Really enjoyed learning from your experiences and benefiting from your honesty. All right, I hope that this episode and all that we do at the Expositors Collective helps you to grow in your personal study and public proclamation of God's Word. (laughs) 